hip hop saves lives. Well, my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa is Chad Harper, the founder of this organization. They have helped children across the globe to come together through hip hop and find common ground through education, peace and unity. His latest project is a documentary called I'm a Black American, which uncovers African-American history from the days of the slave trade. He's an incredibly talented artist in his own right. So let's find out more. So welcome, Chad, to Tea Time with me, Ali Monja. How are you doing? Very good, very good. Happy to be here. Thank you. No worries at all. So <laughs> it's all happening in New York City, is it? Yeah. Things, things are back to, well, not back to normal, um, but a lot of things are. So we're happy we're getting acclimated to the old way of life again. Fantastic. Yeah. That sounds good to me. So, gosh, I mean, what an interesting journey you have been on as a person. I mean, you started Hip Hop Saves Lives in 2006. Is that right? Yes, it was 2006. Mm -hmm. And there's a story behind that, isn't there? Uh, the birth of Hip Hop Saves Lives. Yeah. The name was well, so... I was volunteering for an organization called Charity Water, and they were doing like elaborate cocktail parties here in New York and, and other places in the US. I traveled to like Sundance Film Festival with them, down to Miami, but I had written a song for them, putting all of their statistics into a song that helped people understand uh, extreme poverty and the lack of clean water. Um, and we started selling that song at their events. And I was like, wow, hip hop is saving lives. And we're really raising some good money uh, through this song uh, for water wells in Africa. So that's how the, the name came about. Um, and it's just, as soon as I said it, I knew there was a ring to it. And um, yeah, so a few years later, I started a campaign to write more songs to honor the work of charities and humanitarians. And a friend of mine, I invited all my friends to the studio every day and five days a week we would write a new song about a different humanitarian. Uh, and a friend of mine was a school teacher. He brought some kids down and they recorded some songs. And then my friend's principal called me and he was like, this is an after school program. Get me a curriculum immediately. And boom. All of a sudden, you know, I went from managing restaurants and bars to teaching kids. Yeah. Yeah. How amazing is that, though? I mean, and also, I mean, the, the story behind hip hop started like in 1971, didn't it? Right. So on December 8th, 1971, a peace treaty in the South Bronx mm. uh, between 42 gangs went down to stop the killing and the violence. Um, but to maintain the peace treaty, they said we should meet every Friday and Saturday night in the park and all these rival gangs should party together. And that way we know that we're gonna see each other every Friday and Saturday. So that eliminates the idea of doing something wrong during the week because you know you have to meet with these people. So those parties started the culture of hip hop. and. Just because they had signed this peace treaty didn't mean they all of a sudden liked each other. 
Um, there was still kind of animosity towards certain gangs. So the best dancers would kind of battle um, and that kind of created the culture of break dancing. And from there, it just grew into, you know, a multi-billion dollar business and touches every corner of the globe, you know? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does. So, you know, I suppose that has been quite a lot of inspiration for you in terms of your school programs as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the first lesson that I give kids. I, I explained to them that hip hop was started by teenagers. It wasn't adults. It wasn't um, any type of supervision. It wasn't police authorities coming in to force a peace treaty. It wasn't community organizers. These teenagers decided enough was enough and let's come up with our own solution. Um, yeah. So to let them know that they created such um, a global phenomenon, you know, I tell them, you, you know, collectively, you guys have the power to, to change many things in, in your lives that, that you're not happy with. And, you know, to have hope, have, have dreams and focus. Yeah, no, I think that, that, that is an amazing thing to do. So your school's program, though, completely grew, hasn't it? You know, over the world, really, world over, working with different children um, to sort of, you know, spread the, the peace, love and unity, as I think you put it. Yes, yes. We started in New York City at one school on January 5th, 2012. Within a couple of months, we were at three or four schools. Um, by the end of the year, we were at libraries, community centers, and a lot of detention centers teaching incarcerated kids. Um, so it's spread across New York within you know, le less, less than eight months. And then from there, we got you know, requests um, to speak. You know, my first international speaking gig was in Switzerland. Uh, so we taught some workshops there. I traveled to Haiti and Jamaica and Nicaragua and Brazil and East and West Africa. And it just kept growing and growing, even did workshops in the Middle East. So yeah, we've touched um, at least 30 countries, I would say. Well, we could certainly do with some workshops in the Middle East at the moment, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, it's getting troubled over there again. Yeah, yeah. it um, seems to be an ongoing situation, which is really, um, yeah. I mean, can you, can you imagine trying to get the Israelis and the Palestinians trying to, to do some hip hops? Do you think that might help? You know, when I was there, I did learn about there is an organization that brings Palestinian and Israeli kids together to do some, not just talking and to, to, to understand their differences, but to, through arts. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, starting with the youth and trying to build a new mindset for the younger generation is very important. Yeah, it's, it's always, always beneficial. Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it, it's just such a sad situation, isn't it, to see at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they have actually held a ceasefire, though. So let's just hope that long may that continue. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so you must have written, Chad, how many songs have you written? Wow. I mean, I can only guess, uh, you know, I've written hundreds and hundreds with my kids. I've written, you know, a lot independently. Um, 
a lot with a lot of uh, adult artists that I've worked with. You know, I mean, I, 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 to guess maybe 500, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was the most amazing artist that you think you've ever worked with? I know you can't sort of be too biased, but yeah. Wow, that's a tough one. You know, instead of picking one, I would like to highlight the art, the the young kids that I've worked with who are from who have a who have a Jamaican background. Um, you know, Jamaica. They they say after New York and London. Uh, Kingston, Jamaica is the third biggest music producing city in the world, even though it's a small city on an island. And um, I can tell you, work, you know, living in New York City, working with, you know, kids from all nationalities, there's something really special about kids that have this Jamaican blood and rhythm. And, you know, so I, I've been to Jamaica three times and recorded over there. And there's just something in their blood when it comes to music. Really, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's Bob, Bob Marley was not was not uh, a freak accident. There's something in the blood in Jamaica. Really? Yeah. You know what? I've never been. I, I think you know. I will definitely go now. I've been to Antigua, but I've never ever been to Jamaica. So yeah, I will put that on my bucket list. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special place. So what are you working on at the moment? Because, you know, obviously COVID has been, wow, it's, it's just sort of knocked everybody about, hasn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, uh, I have a project that I've uh, recently launched called I Am Black American. And through my travels, so I came about with this project for two reasons. I spent a lot of time in Africa. Um, I've been to maybe 10 different African countries and as a black American, it's kind of like this, we romanticize of like, oh, going back to the motherland and we're going to be like one with the locals. And then you realize I'm, I'm culturally, I'm American, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, black American because white American and black American culture is not, you know, exactly the same. Um, so you know, I realized culturally I'm black American uh, and then you understand the diversity of Africa. So I mean, people ask me, what is Africa like? I'm, I'm like, well, that's like saying, what is the United States like? California is nothing like Idaho, yeah. you know? Um, uh, 52 states, 52 countries, sorry, isn't there? Yeah. 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 So it's very diverse. Of course, there's you know, some similarities, just like, you know, there's similarities in Europe, you know, or or Latin America, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's very diverse. And so I realized, okay, you know, I can go back to Africa. I can live there. I can live, I can experience a different culture, but I'm still black American. Yeah. Um, so when I came back to the States, I was like, I really want to study the 400 years of um, Africans being in the United States and really fully understand the history and the achievements and things that we've overcome. And um, so now I'm doing this project called I Am Black American, which you know, goes back um, to 1619, starting with the first Africans enslaved um, in the Americas and just finding amazing stories to write songs about and do documentaries about 
Um, so that's what I'm working on now. And some stories will be, I, I will include um, African communities in Central and South America and in the Caribbean as well, like the whole African diaspora that was part of the trans transatlantic slave trade. Um, just to kind of bring like a unity, you know, uh, to these Africans who have been now have another continent as their home, you know? Yeah. Um, so we have, I have about four songs, um, one documentary shot, it's, all, it's in, the, in the editing process. Uh, this documentary is about Afro-Mexicans. Um, because most people, as, as Black Americans, we know that there was a slave trade in the, in the Caribbean and Brazil and Colombia, but no one really talks about the Afro-Mexican story. And because it's the closest country, you know, connected to the United States, I wanted to kind of trickle down, so start with Mexico. So I spent 40 days in Mexico last year. Um, and about, about half of that I spent shooting. The other half was on the beach with beer, but <laughs> you have to <laughs> enjoy yeah, life. Oh yeah, Me Mexico is lovely. It really is. Yeah, and no, I've yeah. been, so, um, yeah. and obviously I've been to New York. So yeah, I do appreciate it. But what an amazing project to do because, you know, what with Black Lives Matter, are you working in conjunction with Black Lives Matter? No, I mean, when Black Lives Matter first took birth in 2016, uh, around the Mike Brown shooting, me and my business partner, partner at the time, we traveled from New York to Ferguson and did a documentary in support of their movement. Mm -hmm. um, but now, you know, so far, I haven't reached out to get any partners with I Am Black American. There's just a certain amount of content that I want. So I'm launching the website probably in, in less than a week. Um, but there's just certain yeah, content that I wanted on there before I launched and then start reaching out to partners. Well, that sounds really exciting. So are you going to sort of just shift hip hop saves lives or are you going to, is it all going to come under the same umbrella or? or? Yeah, you saw originally, you know, I am Black American. I mean, it's still part of hip hop saves lives. Yeah. But some people, some of my business, you know, associates said that I should start a whole separate company because still the word, the term hip hop turns some people off. But the history behind the statement, I am Black American, might be a little broader, but still everything I do is rooted in hip hop. Like I'm writing hip hop songs about these, about these great stories and achievements. I'm also, the documentary that I shot in Mexico the soundtrack will be hip hop. Um, I'm kind of editing it in a way of a hip hop music video type because for the entertainment, because still my audience is hip hop. I want to educate the hip hop community, the younger generation. So I, I think it's it's best to keep it under hip hop safe lives. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you because I think, mm -hmm. you know, that that's fundamental and it is, you know, um, I mean, hip hop, forgive me, is isn't it African-American anyway that it kind of originates from? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got that right. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but um, the, the thing is, I, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the history, the amount of history that has been shoved under the carpet. Right. You know, about, you know, black history is, is just awful, really, isn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, it's only mm -hmm. now with movements like Black Lives Matter and what you're doing, you know, that, that people are actually learning the truth. I mean, right. over here in the UK, we have something called Black History Month. Right, we, we, we have one here as well, but it's not done very well. No. 
No. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. It, it's kind of the same here. And, mm. you know, I mean, I, I'm, you know, very open to everybody because that's the way I am. And mm. I just think it's, you know, why should, uh, you know, it just be Black History Month for one month? Mm -hmm. Why can't, you know, it just be sort of integrated when we're celebrating different people and different things, you know, right. that, that that should happen. And I do believe that there is going to be, especially with Generation Z now, mm -hmm. um, I really do think that in the next five to ten years, we are going to see that happen, don't you? Yeah, I believe so. I believe Especially because, you know, this generation, they, they've grown up with computers and they realize the access that they have to information mm. and to share information. I think it's going to be hard for um, any type of school curriculum that wants to stay in the old way to maintain kids' interest because they're, they're going to have access to, you know, whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, cool. I mean, you know, I think education is an amazing thing and it doesn't matter what subject it's in it, it, it's right. you know it, it's an amazing thing and we can all self-teach these days can't we with this yeah. amazing tool the internet yeah. Um, yeah so when you started filming the documentary I mean you must have uncovered quite a lot of stuff Were, was there any sort of you know stories that were really well I suppose quite a lot of it is painful isn't it yeah, but you know, shooting this documentary uh, was really inspiring because there's a particular guy, he's like the center point of the documentary and his name is Yanga, Y-A-N-G-A. -A, and he's actually a national hero in Mexico. Um, he was an African prince who was enslaved in the early 1600s um, and he escaped um, to, a mountain area. And when these Africans typically escaped, they would go to, they would find the area that had the worst terrain, which hopefully would detour people from trying to find them and catch them and make it easier for them to hide. But long story short, um, he, he would sneak and free other Africans and they developed their own community up in these mountains. And to survive, they knew that, you know, the plantations that they escaped from had so many resources. So at night they would go and they would rob these plantations for food and for weapons to defend themselves, materials to build things with. Um, so uh, the Spanish at the time started to try to find them. Um, so they started moving their location around, um, which got them further from the plantations. So at the time, um, Vera Cruz is the main city where it was, it's still today, the main port city from Mexico. Um, so the, all the shipments to the wealthy families that were living in Mexico City had to go through this highway from Vera Cruz to Mexico City. So they decided, okay, we'll attack these, um, these, I guess they, they were horse and carriages back then, but I guess they were like shipping horse and carry, carriages. <laughs> Uh, so instead of attacking the plantations for stuff, we'll attack these, you know, horse and carriages with, with all these shipments of goods. So they started robbing all these horse and carriages, you know, for materials to build their own communities. And the wealthy families in Mexico got so upset because they kept losing so much material that 
they built a city called Cordoba near where a lot of the, um, the robberies were happening on, on the highway and put an army there. So they went to war with Yanga and the other Africans that had you know, formed this community. They went to war twice. And the first war, Yanga won. And then the second war, both sides took a beating. Um, so they decided to do a peace treaty. And um, Yanga sent the peace treaty down. And at, at the time it was called New Spain. It wasn't Mexico yet. So New Spain agreed and signed, signed the peace treaty and was said, you know, if you just stay where you are, wherever mountain you're hiding on, just <laughs> leave our shipments of goods to the wealthy families in Mexico City alone. We will not come look for you, whatever land you're on, you can name that after you. So I went to the city and still to this day, the city is, is called Yanga. And in the middle of the city, there's a giant statue of him. And there's a huge uh, mural, I would say, it could be a hundred feet long that tells the story of he was enslaved, he lived in slavery, he escaped slavery, he helped other Africans escape. Um, he fought back and to, to, you know, build his own community. Um, and he became such an inspiration because he defeated uh, the Spanish army that people in New Spain who wanted to be independent from Spain said, hey, if, if this African and his group of comrades defeated uh, the Spanish, maybe it's time that we start our own revolution and, and become a separate country and become Mexico. And that's what they did. So when they defeated Spain and became an independent country, the new government of Mexico made Yanga a national hero for inspiring them to become independent. That's an amazing story. And I can't believe I've never heard that before. Yeah. So, it was, yeah, I mean, that, and, and then I found out that there's five cities in total in Mexico named after Africans because there were four other cities where Africans had, had escaped and built their own communities. Yanga was just the most famous. But um, yeah, so there's five cities in Mexico with African names. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that story. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So when are we going to get to see this documentary then, Chad? Well, I have a trailer uh, that I put together. So uh, the trailer is available to see. Um, and I'm in the editing process. I'm also writing the script for the documentary so I can lay out uh, the story that I want to tell. And each story has a little bit of my personal experience in. So I grew up in an area of Cleveland, Ohio. I, like I moved to New York in 98, but I grew up in an area of Cleveland, Ohio, a suburb called Shaker Heights, and it has a really unique history of being the longest integrated city in American history because it was designed from its birth to be that way. It has really, really wealthy multi-million dollar homes all the way down to middle class and even lower middle class. So they were able to create the suburb that had huge financial diversity, um, which at the time meant a lot into including uh, black Americans because this was like, I don't know, a hundred years or so ago or 200 years ago. Um, so what I'm trying to say is the high school that I went to was 
like 50% white and 50% black. And to grow up in a community that's totally diverse like that um, is not common in the United States. Living in New York City, yeah, New York City is really diverse. Neighborhood-wise, not really. And school-wise, not really. It's diverse because we all live in this giant city. But, you know, when I first moved here, an Irish neighborhood was Irish. A Polish neighborhood was Polish. A Russian was Russian. Same way as a Jamaican was a Jamaican or a Haitian neighborhood was Haitian. Um, that's changing. That has changed a lot now because of gentrification. But, you know, for me in the 70s and 80s, growing up in a half white, half black community, I didn't really know what racism was. I could see it on TV, but I never really, you know, it was, it was so little that I, it's something I never really thought about, you know, until right. I went to university. Um, and then I, I think like the Rodney King video, do you remember Rodney King? He was the black guy that was beaten by like three or four, like I think it was four police officers and they beat him with billy clubs for like 10 minutes and it was all caught on video and all the cops were acquitted. And that was the first time I really realized like, whoa, like racism is a serious problem in this country. Um, so for me, really you know fully experiencing racism came later in my life because i kind of grew up in this little utopia um so i kind of tell a little bit of that story you know as i introduce uh the the documentary just yeah. to have because you know I, I a lot of people don't understand that the black experience in america is very diverse if you grew up in the suburbs it's totally different from growing up in the inner city Right. You know, but typically they think, oh, you're black. So you live in the inner city, you know, and what's it like? Is it scary? Um, no, for me, I grew up with squirrels in my backyard and birds chirping and one neighbor was white, one neighbor was black and we didn't know any different, you know? Yeah. Which no. it sounds like, you know, you had a lovely childhood, really, you know, which, which yeah. is nice, <laughs> you know, how it, you want any child to grow up. You know, I've got children as well. Right. So, you know, you want your children to grow up in that that sort of safe environment, don't you? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has become more and more apparent that there is, you know, a lot of racism that still goes on. And I think, you know, to bring us up to date, I think the fact that George Floyd's death was um, right. videoed last year has mm -hmm. really, you know, well, it's resonated across the, the planet really hasn't right. it you know mm -hmm. so which which is a really good thing because you know people need to wake up to the fact that there is still racism and mm -hmm. that you know there has been treatment from police officers you know that is just been totally unacceptable yeah yeah mm. it's you know and even after George Floyd there's been you know a lot of incidents that don't get international attention but well, Brianna Taylor, there's loads of, yeah. There's loads. I mean, it's almost a different one every week, you know, in, in, in the United States. It's almost like every week there's a different one, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with your project, 
you should again you're sort of like a driving force aren't you to to get messages out there which I just love by the way because that's what we're all about here as well you know it is mm. driving those messages forward to to make a change to make a difference I mean you know I think you're right I mean education is just so paramount isn't it really mm -hmm. in all of this yeah. in all of this you know mm -hmm. because um i i think i think that's brilliant i really do i can't wait to see this documentary now i bet, I bet it's thank you <laughs> so when did this kind of like whole seed of creativity begin uh for me i mean i started writing uh well i mean i was a, i was a break dancer at like 12 or 11. um uh, yeah there was a movie called beach street that came out it was a shot in new york city it came out in 1984 and it was, I think, the first hip hop movie. It was about hip hop culture in the Bronx uh, and, and I think a little bit of Manhattan as well. But as a kid living in the suburbs in Cleveland, Ohio, and I, this movie comes out and we go see this movie, instantly my life was changed. I was like, I have to be a part of this. Um, so I started break dancing, started beatboxing. A couple of years later, I think as a freshman in high school or 14, I started writing my own rhymes. In college, I, I think I recorded my first songs in college. Um, and then there was a break for a couple of years. You know, after college, you got to get to work and make money and stuff. And, <clears throat> and then I moved to New York City because I wanted to get back involved in it. And I moved to New York City in 1998 and just started recording music right away. And uh, yeah, it kind, yeah. Of, kind of took off. <laughs> kind of took off from there. No, no, that that's fantastic. That really is. So um, cool. So have, have you just written a song recently? Well, I just released the the title track, the theme song for I Am Black American. Yeah. So that's the that's the last thing that I released. Uh, I'm working on some other songs as well, but I, I released the song called I Am Black American which is on Facebook, um, on my Hip Hop Saves Lives page. Um, so you can see it. And, and what I did was um, I created a flag. Um, so I took a, a video of me rapping and I put it in the top left corner. And then I chose about 16 different Black Americans who were heroes of mine or just really famous Black Americans and I put videos of them as I'm rapping, these videos kind of just appear up and you see like Malcolm X and Huey Newton and Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan and Tupac. And so at the end of the video, you have this flag of black Americans. And uh, it was just really inspiring. You know, Nina Simone's on there. It's just really inspiring to see um, all of these black Americans that, that were heroes of mine on one page kind of representing you know the theme song that i wrote you know i am black american yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely that sounds cool definitely i mean actually oprah is one of my favorite black americans she really is so yeah awesome yeah she she's amazing isn't she she just really yeah. that um which is quite shocking over here com compared to over there but you know over <laughs> This is the royal family where it, it's all shocking the Harry and Meghan interview that she did. Oh, uh, Oprah interviewed Meghan. Yeah, and Harry. Yeah. Prince oh, okay, great. You've not seen it. Oh, you should see it. it it's no, on, 
Um, will you be able to, you will be able to pick it up on the internet maybe. Um, yeah. Where was it on? It was on, well, what's Oprah's network? So hang on, I've got to think it. it oh, was, own. It was on ITV here. I don't know if you're familiar with that channel. ITV. No. <laughs> ITV. <laughs> sounds so London, doesn't it? Compared to your lovely American accent. <laughs> <laughs> I love the British accent. I, I mean, well, I, I love the London. I know the London more than the other areas, you know. Anyway, Chad, it has been really lovely. And thank you so much for coming on Tea Time today with me. My pleasure. And I love the title, Tea Time. <laughs> it's very British, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I, in my travels, I was in Istanbul, Turkey. And they told me the Turkish people in Turkey drink more tea than the British. And I was like, no way. I don't believe it. But they said our claim to fame is we drink the most tea. So I just thought I'd share that with Brett. Oh, thank you. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a tidbit. This is probably true, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, like, I like a cup of tea, but mm -hmm. um, I do, I have to admit, actually, I do drink a lot of coffee. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time Sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on teatime at forthenow.co.uk or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Tea Time with AM. Bye for now.